Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our Switch message series. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the power of making a paradigm switch in the way that we see the world. I had a very powerful paradigm switch when I was in eighth grade. I remember growing up in this place just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and I got made fun of. I was the butt of a lot of jokes in middle school. And all of my classmates, they had a lot of different names for me, some of them that I cannot mention from the stage at South Bay. Other names were names like UFC, which I know that a lot of you are thinking that stands for Ultimate Fighter, but it actually stood for Unidentifiable Flying Crust. Later on, my classmates would short that and start to call me Krusty, and they also liked to call me Chunky. And so one time, some of my classmates decided that they would steal my lunch from me, They would take my lunch to the other side of the cafeteria, and there they would pound on their tables. Chunky, crusty, chunky, crusty. Well, as you can imagine, I didn't like to be called chunky or crusty. And I had an experience later on that school year where I was sitting on a school bus that literally changed the trajectory of my life. I remember it was a cold, rainy Michigan morning. I was sitting there staring out the school bus window, and there was this impression in my heart as if God was speaking directly to me. And I remember it wasn't an audible voice. It was just this impression that God wanted to communicate to me. He said, Andy, these kids that are making fun of you, it's more about them. The problem is with them, not with you. And Andy, if you will allow me, in the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of the sorrow that you feel over your parents' divorce and all these kids that are making fun of you, if you allow me, I will give you the strength that you need in the middle of this trial to endure. And I remember in that moment, it being so odd that I was sensing that God was putting this impression on my heart, but there in that moment, I began to understand and discover the difference between living a self-empowered life and a spirit-empowered life, a self-empowered life, and a God-empowered life. There was this switch for me to realize that every day, in the middle of my brokenness, in the middle of my decisions, in the middle of my trials, that the Spirit of God and the power of God literally could come inside of me and enable me to live the life that He wanted me to live. In fact, with this series, we've been unpacking these switches, and today we're talking about moving from living self-empowered lives to living God-empowered lives. And I think we all would want that. But sometimes this is so difficult to understand. And today we want to unpack practically what does that look like. In fact, Jesus was so emphatic about the fact that it was good for us that his spirit would come and live inside of us, that we would move from self-empowered to God-empowered, that he would say to his disciples, it's better for you if I go, because when I go back to heaven, my spirit will come and live inside of you. And after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, just a few short weeks later, close to about 120 of Jesus' followers were gathered together in this upper room. And the scripture says that the Spirit of God would come upon them in power. And there'd be people from all over the world that would gather together in Jerusalem as a part of Pentecost. And that day, as the Spirit of God fell upon his church, then they began to speak in all different languages of all the people who were around them. Everybody started to think that Jesus' disciples were drunk, that they had kind of gone crazy. And in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at, in chapter 2 of Acts, we see what happens when the Spirit of God came upon his people. In chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screens. And the scripture says this, 
Peter, the apostle of Jesus, stood up and he said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. He says, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, who said this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And he says this, he says, your old men will have dreams. Now, if there's somebody around you and they're old, just look to them and say, you need to dream a new dream. I know that that's up for self-discovery and maybe some of you guys don't feel like you're old, but your neighbor's gonna tell you. And then he continues. He says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And then he makes this last statement. He says, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that day, as the Spirit of God came upon the church and Peter stood up to proclaim the good news about Jesus' resurrection, close to 3,000 people would make a decision to follow Christ. And the message of Christ would spread from there. And literally, close to one-third of the city of Jerusalem would then make a decision to yield their hearts to Christ all through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. See, Jesus said it was better because his Spirit would come to all people rich and poor, young and old, black and white, men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue now have access to the Spirit of God. Yet so few of us choose to receive that access. So few of us live lives empowered by the Spirit. It's kind of like a, recently I went overseas to Asia and there are these people movers in the airports. And I love the people movers because I love to go fast. And I like to hop on the people movers and then when I hop on the people mover, I'll move a little bit faster. I'll kind of walk at a brisk speed. And I love when there's a mirror alongside the people mover because I just feel like I'm cruising. And then all of a sudden I'll see somebody who's to, by the, beside me who's just standing there on the people mover. And it always just drives me nuts because they always get in the way, number one. And I always think, why would you not take full access of the people mover and go as fast as you can? And it even makes me more kind of upset when I see somebody who's on the side and they're not even on the people mover. It's like they're totally missing out on this great gift from God to man to get through the airport at a faster speed. You see, the same is true about the Spirit of God, that we can live self-empowered lives or we can live Spirit-empowered lives. And today, we want to unpack this great mystery of what it means to switch from self-empowered to God-empowered. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, that this was a great mystery. He unpacks it like this. He says, I've become its servant by the commission God has given to me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Actually talking about the church. And then he says this, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and for generations, but now is disclosed to the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. He, he says, for all of history, from generations in the past, all the way at the beginning of scripture, the people of God were longing for this mystery to be fulfilled. It, it used to be that the people of God would have to go to a tabernacle or a temple to be in the presence of God, and the glory of God would fall into this very small place called the Holy of Holies, yet they could only go there infrequently. And, and then later the scripture says that God would come and live among us in human flesh, Scripture literally says that Jesus was God's flesh or God in human flesh among us, that he tabernacled God's presence. But now there's this mystery 
this mystery of God's spirit, and then he makes a statement. He says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God literally can now come and take up residence inside of our hearts to empower us when we walk through difficulty, to give us wisdom as we make decisions, to help clarify and breathe a new vision into our lives, that the same Spirit of God that conquered the grave, the same power of God that created the universe now is available to us as ordinary human beings. Yet again, so many of us live our lives empowered by our own strength when God is wanting to move us to live a Spirit-empowered life. And for the remainder of our time that we have together today, I want to talk to you about, biblically speaking, even this great mystery of living a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God, what it looks like on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Because what I've discovered in my own journey is that this mystery often is difficult to wrap my mind around. What does it actually look like for me to live empowered by the Spirit of God. Paul so clearly says it's a mystery, but there are little clues spread throughout the New Testament of the Bible of how we actually make this shift. And Paul unpacks them so beautifully. And he starts off in Ephesians chapter four, verse, uh, chapter five, verse 17 and 18. And we're gonna emphasize that passage first. Let's listen to what he says. He says, therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled by the Spirit of God. Now, how many of you guys in the room today, without everybody participating, how many of you guys have actually seen somebody drunk? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you guys actually have been drunk? Keep your hands up high. The church is a place where you're supposed to be honest, folks. Nobody's looking around or keeping account. I I've, have a few relatives that like to get drunk when I was growing up, and I always found it kind of interesting, the different responses. Uh, friends of mine, when I'd watch them get drunk, and you have a lot of different drunk people. You have the happy drunk who can't stop laughing, and then you, you have my uncle who was a spiritual drunk. Every time my uncle Timmy would get drunk, he would want to talk about God, and he would always bring out his worst baggage and Many conversations, I would lead him to faith in Christ and he would surrender his life to God and he'd wake up the next morning not knowing what he had done. It was so sad to me. He was a spiritual drunk. Other people, they're funny drunks and we've all seen the angry drunk, the one who gets drunk on wine or alcohol or liquor or any form of chemical and they get angry and belligerent and they lose control. Now, now here's what I want us to see what the Apostle Paul is saying, is he's comparing being filled with the Spirit to actually being underneath the influence of alcohol or wine. See, whenever you get drunk, not that you should get drunk, Scripture says don't get drunk, but when one gets drunk, the Scripture says uh, that you, this leads to debauchery, but what you've noticed and what I've noticed in my own journey is that when you get drunk, it's not like you become a totally different person. It's that you become a drunk version of yourself. That's why my wife says, I never, ever want to see you drunk because that would be a really bad day to see a drunk version of Andy Wood. But when you are drunk, you become a drunk version of yourself. The same is true with the Spirit of God, that what the Apostle Paul is saying is to be under the influence of, 
of God, of his Holy Spirit, the same way a drunk person is underneath the influence of wine, to be filled by the Spirit of God. That over the course of our lives, as we relinquish control of our lives to God, there is this filling. There's an initial filling where God comes and takes up residence, but there's this ongoing filling of the Spirit of God, whereby we, we become underneath the control of his Spirit. Scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That as I relinquish control of the Spirit and I'm filled by the Holy Spirit, that I become a more loving version of myself, a more joyful version of myself, a more peaceful version of myself. The Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit of God. But then he gives us this other very powerful passage, and he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. I want to time together. He says this in verse 16. He says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. And then he makes this statement. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. He's literally saying, do not quench the Spirit of God as he's at work within your life. There's this there's this filling of the Spirit of God, his pouring into us to lead us to the life he wants us to live. But there's this, this, this other component of living a Spirit-led life whereby the, the Apostle Paul says, don't quench the work of the Spirit of God in you. Be filled with him and don't quench him. All right, here's what I think this means on a practical level. As I said, recently I went to Southeast Asia and I had a long flight there and I had a long flight back. And on one flight, I lived a self-empowered life. And on the other flight, I lived a spirit-empowered life. In fact, on the first flight there, I had downloaded a bunch of movies onto my iPad. I had The Godfather on my iPad and a couple other really good movies. And uh, I sat down. And when I sat down, there was another guy who uh, is also white like me. He's Caucasian. And he's what you call an expat who lived in Singapore. And he was traveling back home. And next to me in the middle seat was a guy who lived in Singapore. And so I just started asking the guy who apparently was from Singapore what Singapore was like. And all of a sudden, this guy on the edge chimes into the conversation and starts to tell me what Singapore's like. And he started talking, and he kept talking and talking, and I learned about the currency of Singapore and the way that the government works and how they clean the roads and where I should eat and everything that you can possibly imagine about Singapore, I learned in this flight for like an hour. This was one of those guys that does, doesn't need any feedback to keep going. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're on the cell phone, somebody starts talking, you can just like put the phone down and then come back about 10 minutes later, pick up the phone back and, and they don't even know that you were gone. This was the kind of guy I'm talking about. So finally, I, I just kept saying, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's in, I'm like hoping he's going to get the clue. So eventually I got my headphones out. I put them on and I started watching The Godfather. Now, by the grace of God, I didn't murder him, you know, after watching Godfather, but I was ready to stop listening to him by the time this story, uh, by the time we had gotten to Singapore. Now, on the way back from Singapore, God had really worked in my heart, and I was much more empowered by the Spirit of God. In fact, that morning as I got up, I was praying, God, whatever appointments you have for me today, whoever you want to use me to impact, I'm available to you. Whatever conversation you want me to have, I want to have that. At the beginning of the day, I, I prayed this to God. I'm not kidding you. I got on the second leg of the flight from Hong Kong back to the United States, and sat down next to me was a guy who lives in Fremont, just a few miles from our church's facility. 
and I began to converse with him and I found out about how he was there on business for close to a month and he found out that I was a pastor and then I just began to dialogue with him about his journey spiritually. I asked him what he believed about God and then I found out that his mother is a follower of Christ and then I found out that his mother recently had passed away and then I began to listen to this guy as he told me his story of how he felt that it was his fault that his mother had lost her life as he was away on business. And there I was able to reach into this guy's life and share God's love and say, it's not your fault. And your mother is around the throne of God, worshiping him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And right now, there's nothing she'd long for more than to have you ultimately with her, by her side, loving Jesus and following him. The radical difference between a life that is self-empowered and a life that is spirit-empowered. And I think practically this is what it means. The first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this means that I get my foot off of the brake when God's foot or his foot is on the gas. That many times God is putting the pedal to the metal and I'm putting my foot on the brake saying, God, I don't want to do that. I'm ready to be done with this conversation with this guy who's going on and on and on. I don't even want to share your love with him. I want to put my headphones on and watch the Godfather. I put my foot on the brake. He's putting his foot on the gas. Maybe it's in your marriage. It's clearing up a relationship that's been broken. Or or maybe it's a a decision to give back financially to someone who's in need. Uh, Maybe it's a decision to walk across the cubicle and listen to somebody who's been struggling. But maybe God is putting this impression on your heart. He's putting his foot on the gas and you're putting your foot on the brake. It means that a self-empowered life is resisting God in a spirit-empowered life is yielding to God. It's this constant relinquishing the control of my life to God. Whenever there's an impression from God that flows in alignment with the truth of the Bible, the scriptures, then I yield my life and my heart to him and I say, God, I'm yours. The beginning of the day, it's yes all day long for you. Yielding versus resisting the work of the Spirit of God. The other thing I think it means is this, is the Apostle Paul is communicating. I think it means that I get my foot off of the gas when God's foot is on the brake. That that many times God is trying to put the brakes on a decision that we're making, trying to prevent us from moving a direction in our lives, and his foot is on the brake and my foot is on the gas. I think about it like this. When my wife Stacy and I first got married, we got a call from one of our mentors who was like a modern church-starting guru. He had started six or seven churches. He was like a mentor, still is like a mentor to us. But he said, you know, I think while you're going to graduate school, it'd be a really good idea for you to learn how to start a church. I know that you got this vision to move to the West Coast one day, and we were in Texas going to grad school, and he said, why don't you start a church while you're going to grad school? And so we prayed about it for two weeks. I'm still thinking, looking back, I can't believe why we only chose two weeks to pray about it. And we got some consultation from some mentors and family. And there was this reoccurring theme from our family and others that we talked to. It's a great idea. It'd be great to get the experience, but maybe you should just wait a little bit. Maybe you should just put the brakes on. And I remember forcing ahead and in doing so creating all this pain that in many ways for the first couple of years of this new church that we started, it felt like I was doing it on my own strength. I've said before that that experience felt like pushing a wheelbarrow uphill with square wheels. That many times we are forcing when God is actually wanting us to wait. And that's the difference here with this point. A spirit-empowered life means waiting when God says wait. 
in a self-empowered life is forcing when God is telling us to hold, when he's trying to put the foot on the brake. And I can think of both examples in my life. I can think of times where God was trying to put the foot on the brake and I I was trying to go with the gas. I can think of other times where God was actually putting the foot, his foot on the brake and I yielded to him. Uh, I remember one time when we were kind of considering where we would move after Texas to start our next church and, and where we would literally plant our lives. That we wanted, Stacy and I wanted to move somewhere that we could invest the rest of our lives and we were praying through which city this would be. And we took a trip, or I took a trip up to Seattle, and I remember coming back, and I so badly wanted to be out of graduate school and move on and pursue this vision and dream that God had placed in our hearts, and I was ready to charge. And I started asking for wisdom and advice and many of the mentors, and I felt as I was reading the Bible that God was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to move you on yet. I'm, I'm keeping my foot on the brake. You need to wait. And it was such a difficult internal struggle for me, but going back and responding in obedience as I look back at all that God has done in the last three and a half years of our church, the countless number of lives that have been changed and the way that the Spirit of God has worked through South Bay Church, I'm so grateful that he was clear with me and he put his foot on the brake and that he helped me listen to him in that moment. See, there are many things that we're often pushing forward and God is not wanting us to push forward. Maybe it's a move across the country and our only motivation is to move up the corporate ladder or to get a higher salary and we're putting the foot on the gas and God's putting his foot on the brake. Maybe for some of you, it's a marriage that's on the rocks and you're, you're pushing so hard to get a divorce and finish this thing. You want it to be over, but God is saying, let me put the foot on the brake. I want you to stay engaged and keep that covenant of commitment to that spouse that, that you are living with. I want you to stay committed and hang in there. Maybe it's something today that you so clearly sense that God is putting his foot on the brake and you're putting your foot on the gas and he's speaking to you and the reason you're living a self-empowered life is because he's saying wait and you're trying to force. Listen, the self-empowered life is forcing and resisting and the spirit-empowered life is waiting and yielding. And as I've been meditating on this message, we've talked about this subject here at South Bay before. There's some new things that continue to come to light to me. And I I crossed this passage this past week, which I think pulls it all together and even connects the dots for us. Not just the whole idea of the gas and the brake, but I think that there's another illustration out of what the Apostle Paul is saying that we can see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 21. Listen to what he says. Do not Let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I think for some of us, if we were to obey this verse from the Bible, we would probably speak a whole lot less. In my opinion, this is one of the most difficult verses of the Bible to obey. Don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building up others. And then he makes this statement. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying that our actions, our choices, our heart condition literally can grieve the Spirit of God. I had one parent tell me one Sunday after church that when her kid's out of alignment, she just tells her kid that her kid is making Jesus cry. And I thought that might be a little bit over the line. But the idea that our choices can really grieve God and his heart are so important. And Paul says this is what it looks like to to grieve God and what it looks like to live a spirit-empowered life. He compares the two. He says this, get rid of all bitterness, 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, uh, along with every other form of malice. He says, get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. He's saying that there's something to be noted about getting rid of all that junk that builds up in our lives and in our hearts. It reminds me of when Stacy and I first got married and she, both, she brought both of the cars into our marriage. I didn't really bring much. I'm so glad that she said yes to me and that her parents let it happen. Both the cars were hers. And shortly after we got married, I realized that there was a significant difference in the way that she cared for her car and, and the way I cared for my car. In fact, when she got home, she would take all the trash out of her car and I would let the trash build up. And I would just throw water bottles and and McDonald's if I ever ate that, and, and any kind of trash, I would just throw it on the passenger side and in the back seat so much that it would build up like this big mound and things would be crawling in there and you never knew what you were going to get when you stuck your hand back there. And I used to think, it's such a waste of time and energy to take the trash out every time. Just clean it all at once. But then I started realizing, I liked driving in her car so much more than I liked driving in my car. And so oftentimes I'd take her clean car and leave my dirty car for her. Not suggesting that. But then I started to realize I can take the trash out of my car too. And it's so much easier to take the trash out if you take the trash out every time you get out of the car. Some of you guys, maybe your only application from the message today is going to be to take the trash out of my car when you get home. But there's something more significant in what the Apostle Paul is saying. Is that there's trash that builds up in our hearts and a spirit-empowered life involves taking the trash out. It's letting God work in us to remove that junk that builds up, that anger towards our spouse, that bitterness towards our roommate, that jealousy or greed that causes us to be unwilling to be generous with others. That the Apostle Paul says that over the course of your life, that letting the Spirit of God clean up that junk, and if you're taking notes, the Spirit-empowered version of this means to empty out the trash, but the self-empowered version of this is to hold on. That God does not, listen to me, the Holy Spirit, God does not, like to drive in a dirty car. That God will use broken vessels, but dirty vessels, God just seems to leave to themselves. And for many of us today, the application is that God is wanting to clean out that bitterness and that anger. And then what he wants to do, as the scripture says, is he wants to replace it with love, with joy, with peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, in self-control. See, God is wanting to move our lives from being self-empowered to becoming a spirit-empowered life. And for many of us, it means ceasing to resist him as he's working in our lives. It means yielding to him on a day-by-day -day basis, moment-by-moment -moment basis. It means letting him clean up the trash from our past and letting him put in us new desires and new passion. And there is a version of you that God is shaping you to become. There's a version of you that the end of your life is a spirit-empowered life. And the question is, will you cooperate with God to let him move you to that life?
I think about the radical difference of making my decisions on my own power or, or walking through difficulty and trial on my own strength or, or getting a vision on my own or letting God through his Holy Spirit empower me and give me vision and give me strength and breathe new life into me. There's a radical difference between a self-empowered life and a spirit-empowered life. And really for so much of our time together we've been talking about for those of us who've yielded our hearts to God and without a doubt, I believe that this oftentimes is a decision that needs to be made literally hundreds of times a day. But I also believe that there's this one moment when we make a decision where we yield our hearts to God, where we open up ourselves to allow the Spirit of God and the hand of God to bring salvation into our lives. And the scripture says that it's, it's very simple. That it's by grace through faith that my relationship with God begins. And now the message of the New Testament of the Bible is that when that relationship begins, the Spirit of God comes in and takes residence in my life and the same power that conquered the grave and brought Jesus from death to life is the same power that is available to you and I for daily living. And if you have not, at this point, yielded your heart to Christ, to by grace through faith receive salvation. This can be that moment for you. This can be the moment when everything changes. And it's very simple. It's admitting and acknowledging your need for God. That it's going to require a savior. That you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. It's not you working hard. It's by grace through faith. It's the grace that was displayed when Christ was on a cross. And his death, the perfect sinless life. His burial and resurrection. It's acknowledging that, that you and I are broken apart from him. Our sin separates us from him. I need you today, God. Admitting and acknowledging. But then there's this component of believing. It's actually believing that this God, Jesus was more than an ordinary human being or a great teacher. He was God in human flesh. He did die. He was crucified. He did resurrect from the grave. And then in confessing to him, confessing our need, confessing our need for him to forgive us and set us on a new path. Today can be the beginning of that journey for you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to take a moment for us to do some business with God. For some of you, the business with God that we need to do in this moment is to acknowledge the areas of your life where you've been forcing instead of waiting, to acknowledge the areas of your life where you've been resisting instead of yielding and allowing God to breathe new life into you. Even in this moment, it might be a prayer of God, freshly I yield my heart to you. Whatever it is that you want to do through me, I want to say yes to you in this moment. Maybe it's identifying an area of your life where you, you've been forcing ahead and it's saying, God, I'm going to wait on you with patience in this moment. I'm going to wait and I want to live spirit-empowered. Maybe for others, it's saying to God in this moment that there's some junk I've been holding on to. And just to confess it, an anger towards spouse, jealousy towards a roommate, bitterness towards a friend, confessing it and allowing God to replace it, emptying it out before him. And for those of you today who are at that place where God is knocking on the door of your heart, let this be the moment of salvation, that you would yield yourself to him and say yes to him. That first moment, there is a moment of salvation for all of us. And going all the way back to the book of Acts, that passage that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let this be the moment that you call on the name of the Lord. 
And you might pray something that goes like this to say, God, I admit I, I need you. That you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you resurrected from the grave. I believe that you're my payment for my sins. I confess with my heart today that I want to follow you. And with all I am, I surrender and relinquish my life to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for the rest of us. Father, thank you so much even for those of us that are in the room uh, listening to this video and, or to this message and uh, that we don't want to miss that there's something you, you might want to do in us today. And I thank you for everybody's willingness to be here and to sacrifice time. And, um, but more than that, we just confess in a fresh way to you. We're yours. We're yours as a church. We're yours as leaders, as a staff even as I think about the, the potential of this technology and the hundreds of thousands of people that are apart from relationship with you today, that you could potentially use multiple campus to reach. And I pray that you would call up campus pastors and that you would call out church planters and you would mobilize churches in this region to, to be more passionate about the lost and that uh, we, we would be a part of something through our lives here that, that we couldn't produce on our own. We need you, Jesus. We want, even when this video is shown, I pray that you take it and you'd apply, even though it's going to be in a couple weeks. I pray that you would apply it to people's hearts and in a fresh way. We would say, we want to move from self-empowered to spirit-empowered. I, I just confess to you from the bottom of my heart today. I want to look back in five years and ten years from now. And I, I don't want this church or this movement to have been something that we could have done or that we're at the center of. We want you at the center of it, Jesus. We want your name and your renown to echo from this place and even the hundreds and thousands of people would be saved in, in this room and hundreds and thousands of people would be impacted through our lives so that your kingdom would come and will be done in the, the valley, in the Bay Area, that you'd use us to reach these nations in places like Laos and, and China and India and all these places all over the world that people can't even go with the gospel that what you do here in, in the people of South Bay that the, this would just keep multiplying and that your kingdom would come through our lives. We celebrate you today. You're worthy. There's no word to describe your faithfulness, your glory, your kindness, your mercy. There's no one like you. We put you on the throne of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Say the words and I will listen Show your way Impart your wisdom Open up my ears to hear Open up my ears to hear Speak now, Jesus Speak into my heart I am desperate To hear your still small voice I need to hear your voice The noise of life is over to
speak, I'll listen. Where you lead, I'll go. When you speak, I'll listen. Where you lead, I'll go. plan for each of us and part of your heart's desire is for us to be close to you. And I pray that today that, that many of us would take